We're going to continue in our message series we call The Heart of Jesus. And uh, we are kind of digging kind of into this. And this is the fourth week as we get into this. And we're talking today about the secret. The secret. Um, we began this series in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Uh, we began this with an, an, with the invitation where Jesus says, Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That was the invitation. Then we move to the promise. The promise says, I will give you rest. A soul rest that Jesus has promised to us. Last Sunday, we went from the invitation to the promise to the challenge. And the challenge being, take my yoke on you. Let me teach you, Jesus says. Take my yoke and let me teach you. That was the challenge that we were given last week. So today we want to talk about the secret. And the secret is, you know, this key to understanding this whole passage and the key to understanding Jesus himself and all his promises is found in what he reveals about his heart in verse 29. So let's, I'm going to read it for you once again. Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28. Jesus speaking, he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So this is the secret. I am humble and gentle at heart. The reason that you can trust the yoke that we've been talking about, the reason... You can, you know, believe the promise of rest. The reason you can accept the invitation of Jesus is right here. Jesus is telling us about himself. He is humble and gentle of heart, or to use another translation, meek and lowly. This is Jesus. Now, to be honest, meek and lowly does not sound very impressive. I mean, this is not the world's way of leading. We would say something like, no, you gotta be bold. You gotta stand up for yourself. Like, you gotta, like, take no prisoners and don't, you know, ever say, you know, don't take no for an answer. That's the kind of leadership we've come to expect. Instead, humble and gentle at heart. Sounds a bit soft, if I'm honest. I think it's only soft if we don't understand really what Jesus is saying and not understanding what this means because we're not talking about personality here. We're not talking about a leadership style. We're talking about character. What's at the core of Jesus? We're looking at his very identity as the son of God. Dane Ortland in his book, and some of you have been reading this book, Gentle and Lowly, explains that this is the only place in the gospels where Jesus, you know, sort of pulls back the curtain to reveal himself to reveal his heart his own character where who he truly is there's so much that he teaches and so much that he models and so much that he demonstrates but it's here that jesus says hey i want to let's kind of let you in on the inside i want to tell you a little secret about who i really am i'm i'm gentle i have a humble heart that's his very nature and yet i'll be honest it sounds a bit weak Passive. I mean, I don't think you saw a, a single 
campaign billboard this uh, election season that said, vote for Bob, he's meek and lowly. Right? Not, not one, amazingly. And yet, we're then invited to take on Jesus' yoke to learn from Him so that we can take on His same character, His same heart. Is Jesus a wimp? I mean, humble and lowly, can Jesus really back you up in a fight? Let there be no mistake. Jesus is not weak. Consider Jesus' own words. Taken, you know, I'm going to read several scriptures here, but uh, from a chapter early, just one chapter earlier, Matthew 10. You know, Jesus said this: "Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household." Matthew chapter 10, 34 to 36. That's the cost of following Jesus potentially. Not, not an invitation for wimps and not a wimpy challenge from Jesus. There may actually be a relational price to pay to follow Jesus. What about Jesus in the temple courts? It's hardly a, a weak moment for Jesus. Do you remember this? John chapter 2 records it this way. In the temple, Jesus saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, turning over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, He told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. That's not weak. Later, John the Apostle had this great vision, this great revelation of things at the end. and The book's called Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. In his description of Jesus in chapter 1 is anything but wimpy. His head and His hair were white like wool, He says. White as snow. And His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in His right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from His mouth and His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. These are not weak descriptions of Jesus. While on earth, here with us, there was that time that Jesus drove a, drove a horde of demons into a herd of pigs. That's gutsy. What about a sermon that he gave completely shredding the Pharisees for their religious hypocrisy? Or the time with just a word, he commanded a raging storm to stop and be calm. Make no mistake, Jesus is not weak. All those things, I think, kind of reveal the, the passion of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. But remember, His character is what's in His heart. And that was even revealed to us hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. This is a, a pretty common uh, verse, a passage at this time of year, Isaiah 42, says this, He, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Listen to this. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. 
a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Listen, if you're at a place where you're feeling bruised, broken, your wick is just barely going, the the flame is down to nothing on your candle, Jesus is not going to snuff you out. He's not going to break that last bit. He he sees you in that bruised place. That's where he's caring for you. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. It's coming, friends. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. So, yes, in taking on the yoke of Jesus, the challenge that we've been given, a real man can be strong. A real woman can be courageous. And yet, at the same time, humble and gentle in heart. That he is humble in heart, or to use another phrase, he is of low estate, means this. Jesus is accessible to anyone. Jesus is accessible to anyone. The worst sinner, the depressed teenager, the anxious mom, right? The homeless person, the lonely senior, the the doctor in a mansion, Jesus is accessible to everyone because of the condition of his heart. Some people think, and I think this is really sad, they would say, well, I, I've got to be a better person. You know, if I'm going to be a, a Christian or if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to be a better person. They imagine that they kind of need to elevate their moral behavior somehow to, to sit up there with Jesus. If anything, if anything, we humble ourselves to sit at Jesus' slow table. His, his gentleness and his humility of heart, right, means that I just need to, I gotta slow down. I need to bow down. I need to meet Jesus on his terms. And so, for example, for the person already in the dumps, the, you know, the, the smoldering wick, the, the bruised reed, for that person who's already feeling down low, Jesus is right at your level. He's right there for you. That's where you meet him. The popular scripture reference in this Advent season really captures the contrast of strong and gentle, you know, of powerful and humble, which Jesus is all those things. Zechariah 9 9. You may be familiar with this at Christmas time. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. He's humble. He's riding on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey's colt. Again, prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion on a donkey as people worshiped him. Victorious and humble. Conquering and gentle. That's Jesus. That's your Savior. So out of his humble and gentle heart, He leads still in strength and power and righteousness. See, as a Christ follower, I want you to recognize you never need to apologize for your Savior. He's he's not soft. He's no snowflake. Jesus is all-powerful. All-powerful, but yet His heart, humble and gentle. So when when you picture... You can do a little exercise right now. When you picture Jesus, if you were to visualize Jesus right now, 
you can close your eyes and do this if this helps. But if you were to imagine Jesus standing before you, you know, what's been your impression? I want you to see all these things. Humble, powerful, gentle, strong, victorious, but understanding. All right, let's just step back a little bit for a moment. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 29. Beginning of verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Okay, that was the challenge we talked about last week. And then here comes the reason that we would respond to the challenge. Because, he says, I am humble and gentle at heart. Because, that's a key word right there. He, he puts the challenge out to you, take my yoke on you, let me teach you. Why? Because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. Wait. That's why I should follow you? Yes. And then he repeats the promise, you will find rest for your soul. So what qualifies Jesus to teach you? What qualifies Jesus to place his yoke on you? It's his heart. That's what qualifies Jesus. Listen, there's lots of things in this world that if you apply for a job, they're going to look down your resume. But you know what, what really attracts an employer is character. When, when you, um, you, you know, need to prove yourself in some place, you, you talk about the things you, your education, the things you've accomplished, but, but what really matters is your character, your heart. I mean, think about the best teachers and mentors in your life. Maybe you're kind of thinking through your history. I'll bet they were not the most aggressive and, and arrogant types, were they? They were strong, but, but they were, had the right heart. They were maybe not necessarily best educated, or they might have been, but that's not what made them the best teacher. They were probably humble and gentle at heart. Remember in Bible college, we, we, I had an instructor who, uh, his name was, uh, was Mr. Keitel, Levi Keitel. And he had served as a missionary for many years in, uh, what we take today called the Congo. And he had great missionary stories. And I mean, he was kind of a fun, fun stories, but he, he was a bit quirky. He was a bit of an, kind of didn't really fit in with the rest of the faculty. But I tell you, to this day, Mr. Keitel probably had a greater impact on me than anybody else. I learned so much from that guy, not only in the in the classes we took, but but just from his personality, from his character, from kind of how he conducted himself. Other people, other students kind of teased him. He had some kind of funny mannerisms. But you know what? Mr. Keitel, because of his heart, left a lasting impression on my life. And so you think about those teachers and they're probably well humored and, you know, easy to be around. They're kind of winsome. So that kind of helps that entree into their lives. But what really leaves the impact is your heart. I promise you what leaves an impact from your life to others is your heart for better, for worse. So the, the secret to the perfection of Christ, 
is the condition of his heart. I want you to remember that. The secret to the perfection of Christ is the condition of his heart. Because he's telling us in this one moment, he's revealing to us, listen, if you really want to know what I'm about, if you really want to know what's on the inside, I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. Not everybody can handle that. Not everybody's ready for that. Not everybody wants that kind of leader, that kind of savior. But it's the condition of his heart. So I can leave you with just a few reasons why it matters. The perfection of Jesus, or the heart of Jesus, I should say, makes him, first of all, the perfect teacher. The heart of Jesus makes him the perfect teacher. Right? His humility means he is no, you know, he's no blindness to, to, to what you know, what you need. He doesn't have pride that kind of gets in his way. Hey, look how great I am. Look at what a great teacher I am. He doesn't, he doesn't need to do any of that. He sees what you need like a good teacher does. He knows how to deliver the product to you when at the right time. He knows how to teach you. He is perfectly approachable. You can come to him at any time. He's not intimidating. He's not judgmental. The, the teaching of Jesus never belittles. Right? We, you all have those moments you can think back in your life when, when a teacher said something that kind of maybe embarrassed you or you tried your best and said, this isn't any good or, you know, those are like, why would you ask such a question like that? Weren't you paying attention? Like you, surely you've, I'm not the only one that's had those moments. A lot of the, why weren't you paying attention? I had a lot of those moments, um, growing up. Right? He never belittles you for that. He only invites you to grow. He only invites you to, to respond to Him. You know, when you read Scripture, when you read the Bible, Jesus is offering to speak to you. There's a lot of growth through hardship. A teacher knows that, that you know, the, the kind of the perfect teacher knows that you have to go through some real deep challenges to learn something. When you think back, some of the, if you're, you know, whether you're high school or college or beyond, Some of those toughest courses were the ones that left the kind of the most lasting impression on you because you had to kind of go through some real difficulty. You had to persevere for it to really stick. Some of the life lessons that you're going through, you know, if we constantly avoid any hardship in our life, if we constantly kind of run away from the hard thing or sometimes the boring thing or the tedious thing, we actually don't grow. We actually don't get better through it. It's really in that saying, this is hard. This is difficult right now, but I'm going to persevere because that's the place that Jesus, the perfect teacher, is going to make an imprint on my life that's going to last. So the heart of Jesus makes him the perfect teacher for you. The heart of Jesus also makes him the ideal friend. The heart of Jesus makes him the ideal friend. He's got no ego, right, to get in the way of listening to you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been with somebody the moment, you know, they... they uh, I was with someone the other day and, and, uh, and, you know, you, you share something and then they're like, oh, well, I've got a story that matches that, like the one up friend. And uh, whatever you share, well, they've got something that's more important and more impressive and are more difficult or like, okay, that's great. I'm, you know, I'm going to let you do the talking, right? And they mean well, I get it. I'm, I'm not trying to be unfair or unkind, but, Listen, the ideal friend knows how to listen because he doesn't have any ego. He's got nothing to prove. He's not, he's not trying to impress you. He, the perfect friend cares for you in every season when you're doing great and when you're not doing so well. 
That's the perfect friend. That just enjoys being with you. Enjoys hanging out. Even if we're not doing anything that important. The ideal friend is an ultimate safe person to confide in. Confide in. You can actually share stuff that you just wouldn't share with everybody. But that ideal friend can handle it. They can take it. And yet they'll also challenge you. Say, you know what? Like you've complained about this situation a lot. Like, what are you going to do about it? Like an ideal friend can actually challenge you and kind of cut a little bit in the right way. You think about it this way. The, the most immoral people of Jesus' day, right? The tax collectors and the sinners, prostitutes, the, the, the ones that were deemed to be the most sinful of the day were the ones that were attracted to Jesus. Think about that. Like the folks that were attracted to Jesus, are they attracted to you and me? Would they feel comfortable being in our presence, being in this place, joining us online? Like Jesus was attractive to kind of the most disregarded in their culture, in their society, certainly amongst the religious society. They were they were drawn to him. The people that felt like failures, the people that were a, a relationship mess, the people that, you know, were struggling financially they they were attracted to Jesus. He was an ideal friend. He's the perfect teacher. He's the ideal friend. One more. He's the qualified savior. He's the qualified savior. See, Jesus had no sin of his own. So when he went to the cross, did I for your sin and my sin? He wouldn't be like, you know, I'll just add yours to mine. Doesn't work that way. Everyone can only die for their own sin unless they have no sin, which is Jesus, in which case he could die for everyone else's. And so the cross, taking on the cross, is absolute pure selflessness on the heart, on the part of Jesus. And that again comes from his heart. So, his heart character, again, means he has nothing to prove because he knows who he is. And so the only adjudication that matters, the only judgment that matters to Jesus is that of his father's approval or disapproval. And we know that he was approved of his father. His father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was a qualified Savior, only Jesus could take your sin to the cross. Only Jesus could be the one to extend forgiveness to everything, including that stuff you don't want anybody to know about. Including those secret places that you regret. Including those things that you just wish you hadn't done. Those things you wish you hadn't said. Jesus is the only one qualified to forgive you even of that if you'll bring it to Him. The hope of this passage, the hope of this passage, it really is in the promise, right? The promise being, you will find rest for your souls. He comes right back to it. That's what I'm promising, Jesus says. I'm going to give you rest for your souls. I, I, you know, maybe it's redundant to say it, but hasn't this year more than anything taught us that we need some rest for our souls? Some of you right now are very anxious about this coming week, particularly regarding the election, you're you're stressed. 
You're wondering what's going to happen if, if it goes this way or that way. I want you to know only Jesus can meet you at that point where you need rest from your souls. The things that you can achieve by worrying amounts to absolutely zero. There's no benefit in stressing about it and worrying about it. Now, we want to prepare for it. I, ex- I fully expect that some really challenging times are coming for believers. And we've been promised that in Scripture. I'm not telling you anything new. I'm not revealing some secret. It's written right in here. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. That's a great promise. In this world, you will have trouble. So if you've never had trouble yet, it's coming. If you've already had it, there might be more. In this world, Jesus, you will have trouble. I'm promising you. But don't be afraid because I've overcome this world. So that's why we come to the heart of Jesus because he alone knows what we're going to need in our time of hardship. So that's the the hope in all this. You're going to find rest for your soul. Only Jesus meets those needs, those deep needs in your life. That guarantee of the promise is what's in his heart. I am humble and I'm gentle at heart. I'm good for it, Jesus says. You can count on me, Jesus says. Just one condition to all of this good news. There is a condition to all of the good news. It's this, that this experience is reserved for those who respond to the invitation. Jesus says, if you'll come to me, then you will receive this rest. Take his yoke. So it's conditional. It's a conditional promise. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. And I will give you rest. If you will not come to Jesus, you will meet him one day as your judge. But I want you to know him as your savior. I want you to experience him as your friend. Your advocate. Your brother. How will you respond? Have you, will you take his yoke? Are you ready to adopt, to come under his character, humble and gentle at heart? Because that's the invitation attached to the promise. And I will give you rest. Let's pray. Jesus, um, it's not enough just to talk about you. And if there's anything you've revealed to me in this time is that I need to know you more. I need to actually know you. I need to actually be with you, spend time with you, be present with you so that I can get to know you and get to know your heart, get to know your character, take on your yoke to let you teach me. And Jesus, I just I would ask that in this season that that becomes more and more real to us, more and more authentic to us, that we're recognizing in an increasing way, Jesus, that we need to be with you. Jesus, I'm asking that in these days to come, in this season, in this year to come, that we as your people, we as a church, as individuals, as families, would encounter your presence in a greater way, in a more life-transforming way, in a more powerful way, in a more authentic way. 
Lord, we don't want to be the people who just sing about you or talk about you or study about you. We need to know you. Lord, let that be real. Let that be true. And so that this Advent season, this anticipation of your coming really culminates in a fresh perspective of you, a fresh vision of you, humble and gentle in heart. God, we thank you for this precious truth that you revealed to us, letting us see into who you really are. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, into every heart. We welcome you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.